on a mission. It's a mission to turn our world upside down. That happens when people hear the good news of Jesus. So get ready for God to turn you upside down. Political leaders in the United States are given certain roles, and they're expected to perform special duties in those roles. And there are certain titles that go along with those roles. For example, there's the title of president, and the title of senator, and the title of representative. Here in Canada, the titles are prime minister and member of parliament. Both countries, interestingly, have justices. That's the special title for judges who serve on the Supreme Court. So it is in the Bible. God has given certain leadership roles to certain individuals. And in the Old Testament, there are three main leadership roles, each with its own special title. There are the prophets, there are the priests, and there are the kings. Now in the Old Testament, many of those holding these offices were anointed with olive oil. That oil was sometimes blended with special fragrances. And those anointings to office often took place in public. Now the Hebrew verb to anoint is the verb masha, masha. The anointed person was known as Mashiach, or in English, Messiah. It simply means the anointed one. When we switch to the Greek language of the New Testament, that anointed one is called in Greek, Christos, Christos. We can hear that word, whereas in some churches a baby's baptism is sometimes called a christening, a type of anointing. So, Christos, the anointed one. Now, I'm sure in that word, Christos, you hear the special title that was given to Jesus. His personal name, of course, is Jesus. That's a name his parents called him. It means Savior. But his title is Christos, Mashiach. Literally, the anointed one. So when was Jesus anointed? When did that happen? The gospel writer Luke tells us about it in his gospel, chapter 3, quote, When all the people were being baptized, that is, baptized with water in the Jordan River, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus was baptized with water, and that water represented the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so it is that the Gospel writers tell us immediately after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descended upon Jesus' head. That happened in full public view. His anointing was very public. Immediately after this, Luke tells us, quote, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus anointed by the Spirit, he becomes then the anointed one. And that Spirit also then empowered Jesus, filling him with special power to perform his work. So today we're again considering the work of Jesus, the public ministry of Jesus. Why did God the Father send Jesus to earth? We're talking now about Jesus, especially in his human nature. Jesus who came to earth as a man, who as a man sometimes experienced human weakness, and so he needed a special filling of the Holy Spirit. 
So Luke tells us that immediately after this, Jesus was led by the Spirit, led into the desert, and there in the power of the Spirit, Jesus overcame the three temptations that Satan brought him. From the desert, we read Jesus traveled to his hometown of Nazareth. And on the Jewish Sabbath, Jesus went up to the local synagogue there in Nazareth. And as was the practice, as one of the males, he was given the scroll with the words of Isaiah the prophet. Jesus found the exact place, which in our Bibles is Isaiah chapter 61. And then Jesus read these words from Isaiah chapter 61, quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me, there you have it, anointed me to preach good news. Jesus beginning his public ministry, he's working, he's ministering then in these three offices, these anointed offices, the offices of prophet and of priest and of king. And here in in Luke chapter 4, we're told especially that Jesus was anointed to preach, to preach good news. Well, that was the special work of the prophet in the Old Testament to preach to the people, to teach them. In ancient Israel, God would reveal many of his thoughts and words to these human prophets, and then the prophets in turn would speak God's words to the people to instruct them about what God had said, what God had revealed, what God intended. Now, if you would go to the Old Testament prophets, you would find that often they were teaching the people about their sins, how they had fallen short of God's expectations, how they had disobeyed God's commandments and broken his covenant. The, people, the prophets told the people that therefore God's judgment fell upon them. But then also the prophets would remind the people that God was a gracious God. He would show compassion to them. He would show them mercy and out of his mercy, he would forgive their many sins. Listen to the prophet Isaiah, one of the prominent prophets in ancient Israel. In the very first chapter of the book of Isaiah, he calls them, quote, a sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers. They have forsaken the Lord and turned their backs on him. That's Isaiah 1 verse 4. But then a little later in that same chapter, God reassures his people this, quote, Though your sins are like scarlet, scarlet, a a deep red color, they shall be white as snow. Though your sins are red as crimson, they shall be as wool, that is clean white wool. There's a cleansing that God would perform upon the people. He would wash away their sins. And how would that be possible? Well, later in Isaiah, God tells the people that all their sins would be laid upon Jesus, that special lamb, that lamb of God, and that by his sacrificial death, God would forgive his people as they turned to him in love and trust. And so it was in the fullness of time, in the time of the New Testament. Jesus is publicly revealed to the people. He's publicly anointed by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells them that his work is to proclaim or to preach or to teach the good news. Not only to teach them about their sins, yes, that too, but also the good news about the forgiveness of their sins. That's particularly Jesus' work as prophet. 
go, go forward in time to the night just before Jesus was executed on that cross. Listen to how Jesus was praying to his father the night before he died. Quote, Father, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. I gave them the words you gave me. I gave to them, to your people, God, I gave to them the words you gave to me. That's exactly the role of a prophet. God revealing his words to the prophet and then the prophet giving those same words to the people. And in his work as prophet, Jesus says that these people, his people, knew with certainty that I came from you, O Father, and they believed that you sent me. That's from John chapter 17. So how is it for you today? Have you listened carefully to Jesus as God's special prophet, as the anointed one, as the best prophet who ever lived, the one who has spoken the the very words of the Father? And have you, like the people of the Bible times, accepted those words that Jesus has spoken? Yes, words about your own faults and failures and about God's judgment on those faults, but then also these words, such as Jesus spoke in the book of John. John chapter 3, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And I'm always amazed by the words that follow in John 3 verse 17. Jesus says, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This anointed prophet, the Christos, Jesus, reveals the plan of God to save you. Ultimately, God's plan is not to condemn you or me, though we surely deserve that. Rather, God's intent is to save the world, to save us through Jesus as we simply trust in him. Oh, let's listen carefully to Jesus, the best prophet who ever lived. Well, Jesus is also anointed by the Holy Spirit to fulfill the role of Old Testament priest and to advance that role even in a special way. That's another one of those important roles of the three roles in Israel, prophet, priest, and king, the role of priest. It was one of those official ministry roles. And the greatest priest was called the high priest, that is, the highest in authority, the leader over the other priests, the one with the most responsibility. And as we read in the book of Leviticus, the high priest in Israel would especially fulfill certain duties on that one day of the year, that one special day, known in Hebrew language as Yom Kippur, literally the day, Yom, of atonement, Kippur. Yom Kippur, on that one day of the year, the high priest would enter into the most holy place. That was a place that was curtained off from the rest of the holy places inside the tabernacle, inside the tent of meeting, or later in the temple itself. There would be a a thick curtain hanging so that not even the ordinary priest could look behind that curtain. The people surely could not go there. But one time a year, the high priest would go behind that thick curtain taking some animal blood in a container and sprinkling that animal blood on the cover of the Ark of the Covenant. That cover was also known as the mercy seat. And God said when the high priest did that on Yom Kippur, 
the people who were trusting in God's promises would be forgiven of their sins for the past year. Then the following year, the next Yom Kippur, blood would have to again be sprinkled on that mercy seat. And so it happened again and again, year after year. Listen to what the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews says about this. In chapter 10, quote, Those animal sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. An annual reminder of sins. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So why were those Old Testament sacrifices offered repeatedly, day after day, and offered each year on Yom Kippur? The writer to the Hebrews tells us that these animal sacrifices were a reminder, a reminder to the people of their sins, reminding them that their sins required blood, that is, a death, a sacrificial death. But everyone knew, and God taught the people, that sacrificed animals could not really atone for people's sins. They were only a reminder that the people were sinful. So the people were moved to look forward to that one special sacrifice whom God himself would someday send, even Jesus, who is called the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God sacrificed on the altar of the cross to take away the sin of the world. There's a common way to understand the difference between a prophet in Israel as compared to a priest. Priests would represent the people before God. The priests would bring the sacrifices on behalf of the people so that they would be forgiven. Prophets, on the other hand, represented God to the people, teaching the people God's words. Priests represented the people to God. Prophets represented God to the people. It's a good way to keep those two roles and those two offices somewhat distinct in our minds. But here's Jesus. Jesus in the New Testament who comes to fulfill both of these offices. He fulfills the official duties of both prophets and priests. Jesus represented God to the people as the best prophet, the greatest prophet, and Jesus represented the people before God as a priest, the great high priest. In fact, you could turn to the book of Hebrews. It's one of the themes in the early chapters of the book of Hebrews. Read chapters 5 and 6 and 7. Here's one thing it says in chapter 5 about the role of a high priest. Quote, Every high priest is selected among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer up gifts and sacrifices for sins. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God the Father said to him, You, Jesus, are my son. And God says, you are a priest forever. It's made very clear, very explicit in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the anointed high priest, the greatest and best high priest there ever was. And Jesus, therefore, in his work is representing us to God the Father. It's as if Jesus is saying, here, Father, here are those for whom I have died. Receive them, Father, for I have sacrificed myself for them. Forgive them, Father, of their many sins, because I have died for their sins on the cross. Jesus, our great high priest, presents us before God. Now, Old Testament priests did their best, but the best they could do was to offer up animals. 
that was all looking forward finally to the one who would offer up himself. In fact, God said this in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 2, quote, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, one who will do according to what is in my heart and my mind. God someday would raise up a most faithful priest. That's Jesus. Jesus, one who fully knew the heart and the mind of God the Father. And interestingly, we don't have time to develop this, but priests not only lifted up sacrifices for the sins of the people, they would also pray for the people. They would also intercede for the people before God. So we find Jesus lifting up prayers as our high priest. The best example of this is in the Gospel of John in chapter 17. Jesus praying to his heavenly Father. And this prayer is often called the high priestly prayer. Listen to part of Jesus' prayer. He says to his Father, I am praying for them. He's referring to his faithful 11 disciples. And then he specifically makes this prayer request. Quote, My prayer, Father, is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So even today, Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus at the right hand of the Father is praying not only for the disciples in that day, but praying for us, for our protection, our safety, that we would be protected from the evil one, from Satan himself, who's like a roaring lion seeking to destroy us if he could. Well, that brings us to a third special role that was found in ancient Israel a role that Jesus also fulfills. And it, again, it gives us a, a window into the special work of Jesus. There were kings in Israel, Old Testament kings who ruled. They were anointed with oil, with that fragrant oil. You recall perhaps that King Saul was the first king in Israel, but he was replaced by David, who proved to be a much better king, a more faithful king. David ruled, we read in the Bible, as, quote, a man after God's own heart. Among other things, that meant David was not a harsh dictator-type king, a tyrant who oppressed the people. Rather, David ruled like a, like a shepherd, like a shepherd leading his sheep, seeking to take care of the needs of his people. But then the Bible also tells us sadly about David's great sin, the sin of adultery, and then how he plotted the death of that woman's husband, an innocent man. As king, yes, David excelled all the kings of Israel, along with his son Solomon, who succeeded him. But each of those human kings had their human faults. They showed their personal failures. They had times of, of terribly disobeying God. So human kings, even very godly kings, have failed. Human prophets in the Old Testament also failed, as well as did the priests. So you see, we need a better prophet, a better priest, and, of course, a better king. In Psalm 89, God says, quote, I have exalted a young man from among the people. I have found David my servant. With sacred oil I have anointed him. Anointed him. My faithful love will be with him. He will call out to me, You are my father, my God, the rock, my Savior. And God, knowing this, made a further promise. Psalm 89, once for all I have sworn by my holiness that David's line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. So a question, did David's kingly line continue forever? No, it didn't. But then in the New Testament, 
out of the tribe of Judah. There comes two of, of David's descendants out of Judah, David's tribe, comes that young woman named Mary and her faithful husband named Joseph. And Mary gives birth to Jesus. And where does she give birth? It's in Bethlehem. Bethlehem known as the city of David. It's an amazing fulfillment of prophecy that someone from David's tribe, born in David's city, would become king of Israel. So listen to how the man Zechariah praised God about the birth of Jesus. He says, quote, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Jesus, after he died and rose again, went back to heaven. Ten days later, Jesus from heaven poured out the fullness of his spirit upon his people. And the apostle Peter preached on that day we now refer to as the day of Pentecost. He said in part, quote, The patriarch King David died, and he was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he, David, was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Isn't that amazing? Peter is saying that Jesus was placed as king on David's throne. It's clear then that David's throne is not an earthly throne. Rather, Jesus is seated on a throne in heaven. He's reigning not from the earthly Jerusalem, but he's reigning from the Jerusalem that is above. Jesus has inherited the throne of David as he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And what has he done for us as king? Well, kings in those days would lead their armies to victory, into battle. Jesus has won the victory over Satan. He's defeated death and sin and hell. And Jesus continues to this very day leading his army forward. No, not by physical armaments, but by his word, which is the sword of the Spirit. As king, Jesus is now ruling in some sense over all the world, all his creation. But particularly, Jesus is ruling as king where people are bending the knee and submitting to his kingship by faith and by trust. That's then his people known as the gathered church, where the people of God are submitting to the rule of Jesus. And someday, says the Bible, King Jesus will return to earth again. He will come again when he will finally completely overthrow all unrighteousness, all sin, all imperfection, and he'll lead us, his people, into a perfected kingdom. And then says the Bible, we as believers will reign with Jesus. I hope that helps give a window into the special work of Jesus. As our prophet, Jesus is teaching us about our sin and about the way of salvation, and he calls us to trust in him. As our priest, Jesus shows himself to be the sacrifice for our sins on the cross. We must trust in his sacrifice. And as priest, he's also interceding for us even today. And as our king, Jesus has the rule over us. He's ruling and directing us by his word, the Bible, and by his Holy Spirit, which applies the word of God to our hearts. And by God's grace, we're submitting to his kingly rule and as king, Jesus will ultimately bring us to that final day when we shall enter into his perfect kingdom, when everyone will acknowledge that Jesus is the king over all kings, and he's Lord over all lords. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Randall. 
This podcast is produced by my brothers in Christ, Dennis and Moses. Won't you tell your friends about us? We're Mission Upside Down. Thank you.